Hey, Mountain. It's good to see everybody. It's uh, NFL opening weekend. So are you ready to get schooled? (laughs) Just kidding. Um, Hey, speaking of the school theme, did you hear this last week about that cross-eyed kindergarten teacher that got fired? Yeah, she couldn't control her pupils, apparently. Just uh, gave her the axe there, so... So anyway, we're talking about school. A middle school student I was talking to um, was saying, you know, I said, how's school? What classes do you have? That kind of thing. He's just like, what's well, all so stupid? It's pointless. There's no sense to even going to school. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, they, they make us go to English class. I already speak English. And I have to go to history class, and they're all dead. And I have to go to math and learn math, but I have a calculator. And, and I go to Spanish, but there's Dora. So he didn't see the point. So we're, we're saying, you know what, uh, all of us, if we're a disciple of Jesus, you know what that really means is, it means that we all have so much to learn. And the school is really a, a pretty fitting uh, way of getting at this word disciple. The word disciple literally means learner. It means someone who follows the teacher, Jesus, our, our rabbi, if you will. And we're committed to, to learning. You know, my daughter is 16, and it, she's been given one of these learner's permits, which just means, I'm kind of offering that as fair warning, and <laughs> it means that she's slightly, perhaps more dangerous than the rest of us even on the roads. Over in England and Australia, when you have a learner's permit, you know what they do? They give you a big license plate with a big red L. It looks like that, and they put it on the front and the back of your car. I love that. It's like it's just a way of saying to the world, get off the sidewalks. Here comes a newbie rookie who doesn't know what they're doing, a big learner. And, and you know what? I like that. And in a sense, everyone who says, I want to follow Jesus, has the big L on them. You're like, yeah, I know. No, no, I don't mean like this. You don't have this L, the loser L. You have the learner L plate because Every one of us is invited by Jesus to follow him and to enter into this school of what it means to be a follower, a disciple, a Christian. No one can say, well, this is too hard. It's above me. I I don't make the grade. No, no, no. No matter who you are or where you are, Jesus calls you and you can be his student, his follower, his disciple. And no one can say, well, I've already got this figured out. I've already graduated. No, no, no. Because we're not talking about absorbing information. We're talking about having our character and our life experience transformation so it's a lifelong journey and so as we go into the core curriculum of jesus we say okay where do we start if we really want to get schooled by you where do we start and we we're going through this thing each week now and we're ending this schooled series today and uh, the answer comes from jesus of course uh, the most succinct place is mark chapter 12 where they say to him you know what's the most important thing how do we get started what does it look like if i want to be changed i want to grow i want to follow you and experience all god has for me where do i start And Jesus' answer in Mark 12 is this. He says, well, the most important commandments of all is, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then it says, and love that Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. In other words, there's one God, love him with everything you've got. Love God. And then he follows immediately in the next verse, and he says, and the other commandment is just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, love God people and then over in Luke 10 when they're asked when he asks a similar very important question how do I inherit eternal life he says the same thing love God love people and then they say but who is my neighbor and that's when he tells that story about the man is walking along the road and there's a guy in the ditch and and he stops to help him we call it the good Samaritan and Jesus points to that and says do like that guy serve the world 
And those three things make up the core curriculum of what it means to follow Jesus. Love God, love people, serve the world. Say them together with me, will you? Love God, love people, serve the world. It's, it's, uh, it's something that will help you get started if you're brand new. It's, a, it's got a lifetime of learning in it. If you've got this the, the sort of student planner sheet with you, you can flip to that and uh, class, uh, we'll go to the board now and we'll kind of review, make sure we've got all this down. So let's go over those one more time real quick. What's the first one? Love God. Good. We represent it by arrows that kind of go up and down because it pictures the relationship where you're reaching to God, God's reaching to you. There's a real relationship. There's two components under each of these, right? And under this one, we talk about if you want to experience the love of God in a real relationship, first of all, you've got to worship together with some others, right? You've got to gather together with some others. If you missed the message on this, go back and grab it online. And then what's the other one? We say abide what? Abide alone. There's got to be some time when you and Jesus are just hanging out together with the scriptures and prayer, just you as, you as you have a relationship with him, as you abide with him. And then the key question the teacher wants to know here is when. Here's the assignment. Answer the question. When is it that you're gathered together with other believers for worship for all that happens there? And when is it that you're abiding alone in your relationship with God where you're feeding on him through scripture and prayer? If you can't answer it with specificity, it's probably not happening how you think it is. Love God. Represent it like this. Love God. What's next? Love people. Good class. And we represent this by the arrows that go in this way because it kind of pictures how we got to come together with some others. The two components here, you remember, are hold on, right? We did this last week with Nathan. And what's this one? Reach out, hold on, and reach out. Hold on refers to the fact that you can't do the Christian faith alone. If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to hold on to some brothers and sisters who can do the journey with you. You've got to, you've got to be in connection and relationship with some others. But also, we reach out to those who don't know Jesus yet, those who are far from God. You know someone that doesn't know Jesus, and God's hoping you'll build a relationship with them to help bring them to Him. And the key question from the teacher here is who? What are the names of the people that you're in real community with? People who know God and know you. What are their names? What are the names of the people that God has placed on your heart to help reach out to at this season of your life? What are the name of that person? If you can't answer it with specificity, it's probably not happening quite how it could. And you need to be schooled and learn and follow and grow and change in that area. And then the last one we're going to focus on today. What is it? serve the world like a little kid was telling me I love that mountain walk thing love God love people and serve the girls I said no you don't got it yet but and the arrows go out this way because it's an externally focused impulse where we don't just sort of enjoy our little huddle but we're always reaching out and serving the world the two key components are get down and get going Here's the key question for this. Anybody know it? Where? We're going to focus on some of that today. Where? Where is it that you're getting down and getting going? We're going to look at some of that today. Now, before we jump into that and start asking the question about where we're serving, as we talk about serve the world today, this is so relevant for all of our lives because there's so many Christians... I think, people in general, who kind of have a noble impulse about serving, but 
when you really press into why they serve, and they're kind of just going through the motions or they're gritting it out or they're, they've been taught it's the right thing or they have all kinds of crazy ideas. And, I, and before we talk about you know, where and how and all that, I just if you don't get anything else out of today, I hope you get what I'm about to say because it's really important that we think carefully about our motivation for serving. To answer the why question before we get to the where. To think about the source of serving. A lot of people say, you know, well, I've heard Christians say, well, basically Jesus commands us to serve. So we do. Which is like saying, well, I'm in the army and the sergeant said to make my bed and press my sheets and I've got to show up and cut potatoes at, at dinner time and I guess that's what we've got to do. And there's a lot of Christians that go through and their service, they're very busy, but it's this external compliance, this obligatory thing like the commander-in-chief said it and so I've got to do it. And no wonder they lack an inner joy, but they're afraid to tell people they, they don't have joy because they know they're supposed to, but they really don't. It's because they got their why question wrong. Or sometimes I, I think there's a lot of people that serve out of this sense that the world is sort of put together where like this grand divine karma is at work. And if I serve, it's going to kick back to me in some divine, you know, benefit. Like there's a big slot machine or a big machine. If I, every time I put a good deed in, it sort of kicks back to me. It's like a merit system. It's like a Southwest Airlines, uh, you know, bonus points. And, and I sort of earn points by doing, I serve so that somehow I hope to get a free flight to heaven someday. And, and, and I just want to say, the Bible comes along and Jesus comes along and says there's a completely different way of thinking about how service ought to issue out of our lives. I want you to think about your own life and just picture yourself standing in a river. I mean, here's Jesus. Jesus says, I I, I just want to give you my whole life. He offers his whole life and he gives it. No one took it from him. He, He gave it. And it was one of sacrifice and he died for you. He gave his life up for you. He, he, he's forgiven your sins. He's made you right with God. He calls you children of God. He calls us children of God. He, and it's like this river of grace that God just pours into the world and into our lives. And when you stand in that river, what washes over you is a sense of forgiveness and redemption. And you can have purpose in your life and real meaning in your life. You can have hope in your life. You can have joy and peace and wellness and wholeness and all of that. And when you get graced and washed and loved and forgiven, and all that actually sinks into you it changes how you think about everything and now what you want to do is let that river wash not just over you but through you right on to somebody else and that becomes the source the motivation the cause the reason the why behind everything that we do in Christ is we just want the river to flow through us God has loved me, I'm going to love you. God has forgiven me, how can I but forgive you? God has been kind to me, so my life is an expression of kindness. The river of God's grace has flowed to me, I want it to flow through me. I've been blessed, time for me to be a blessing. It changes everything about what's going through your mind when you kneel down and work with kids in our children's ministry. It changes everything about how you process your volunteer service hours and what your life really needs to be about. It's about letting the overflow of God's grace and the river of God's goodness come out of us. So, what about you? What's your basis, your motive, your reason for, for serving? 
Well, once we sort of just say, I don't serve in order to get God to love me. I, I serve because I know, I believe God loves me and I'm so grateful and out of that I serve. Now we're beginning to get down to these two components under serve the world. What are they? The two components. First of all, what? That's an attitude. And what's the second one? That's an action. We're going to talk about each one. Let's talk about the attitude first. Get down. And it's illustrated pretty clearly one time when some of Jesus' students were gathered with him. Everything Jesus did was classroom, you know. He was never in a classroom. His whole life was the classroom. And they're hanging out with him, but they're still not passing in the class of discipleship, if you will. They just don't get it. In other words, they're a lot like us. Hang out with Jesus, but still don't always get it, right? He's living this selfless life. He's being a servant. He's giving. He's caring. He's sharing. He's healing. He's, he's doing all this stuff. And then he says one day to them, are you getting this? Any questions? And two of them that should have been at the front of the class, James and John, they say, actually, we do have a question. Jesus, psst, come here. Gets over in a corner. Jesus. We know where this kingdom and this future glory thing is going. We kind of picture you one day reigning up on high. And it's probably going to be like a big throne, a seat that you're sitting on, kind of ruling everything. And that's as it should be. You know, that's fine if you want to do that. But I'm just guessing there's probably like a big chair right next to you on the right and a big chair right next to you on the left. We're just thinking, I mean, we're not saying you have to, but... I mean, you love us. We're the, we're, the, we're the sons of thunder. I could just see us like vice presidents in glory. James and John, what do you think? Okay, you think about that and get back to us. Just, that's good. And the other disciples, the Bible says they, they, they heard this and they get really ticked off. Why were they ticked off when they heard James and John vying for big positions in glory? Yeah, they, they weren't ticked off because of how immature it was. They were ticked off because, hey, we want those seats. This is, this is like kids running to the car going, shotgun. Dibs. And Jesus just shakes his head and says, we got to go to school. we we got to go back to class. And that's when he says to them, Mark chapter 10, if you open your Bible, verses 42 to 45, Jesus calls them together just like he calls us together right in this moment because there's so much we have to learn on this get down humility thing. He says, Jesus calls them together and says, now you know how those who are regarded as the rulers among the Gentiles and their high officials, you know, they, they exert authority over their people. We know how it is in the world when people lead. They're all about power and prominence and dominance. I, I get that. We all know about that. But he says, then he turns to us, his class, his disciples, and he says, not so among you. It's, you're supposed to be different. I'm your teacher. I'm your example. Instead, if you really want to be a great leader, then be a servant. You want to be first? You want the big seats? Well, be a slave of everyone. That's how it works in my kingdom. That's the kind of teacher I am. And then he caps it off in verse 45. He says, for even... Myself, the Son of Man, I didn't come to be served. I came to what? To serve and to give my life away as a ransom for many. It's like Jesus is saying, so I'm your teacher and I'm a servant. Now what do you think you should be? And they're like, um, I don't know. How about those big seats in glory? Because that's how we are, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Get down is talking about humility. Humility isn't thinking less of myself, like, oh, I'm such a worm. And no, it's just thinking of yourself less. Thinking of your agenda, what's important to you, less. And as Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 would say, each of you, you know, do, do, it says this way, do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, there's the word, consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests all the time, what you want, what you think, but also to the interests of others. And we take our example from Jesus in that. That's an example of humility. Get down as pictured probably no place more clearly than in John chapter 13 where Jesus literally gets down to show us what humility looks like. You might know that familiar event. Jesus is gathering for a fateful dinner with his closest friends and classmates. And he demonstrates something important. Now, normally in that culture, when you came for dinner to someone's house, like here you might greet them at the door and take their coat. In that culture, there was a very uh, important custom of honor where a, a, a humble servant would come to the door and greet you by washing your feet. People didn't take Uber or, you know, uh, their minivans to get around. They walked. And when they got there, they had been stepping over refuse and donkey dung and who knows what else. Their feet were stinky and smelly and crusty. When they finally showed up at the house, they didn't go to dinner and sit at chairs where they tucked their feet neatly out of sight below the table like we do. No, they, they had very low to the ground tables in that culture and they would lay, recline at table. That's why the Bible sometimes talks about reclining at table on their elbow and eat this way with their feet extended this way, which meant as you're sitting there eating, someone else's feet aren't far from your face. Which means that this custom of washing feet isn't just a cultural honor system, which it was. It was also a practical, important thing to do. And it wasn't a pleasure to do. And that night, nobody did it. Disciples of Jesus gather and they just, nobody did it. Maybe they just had other things on their mind. And that's how it is with serving. Sometimes we just begin to think, I'm above that. Well, Jesus certainly had stuff on his mind. He's going, to have, he's going to die in a few days. You know, he's getting ready to tell them, I'm going to be crucified. He's going to tell them right then that someone's going to betray him. His heart is breaking. And yet, despite those things on his mind, he's got something so important to teach him about getting down that he changes the curriculum that night. And he stuns them all. When he gets up from the table, and he goes and fetches that servant's wash basin, fills it with water, as they're staring with their mouths open, he gets a towel and he bends down on the floor and he begins to wash the feet of one of his disciples and begins to make his way all the way around the room. You want to know what the almighty, powerful, creator God of the universe looks like, is like at God's core? Here's a snapshot. It's Jesus humbly bowing in a sweaty upper room at a last supper, shuffly, awkwardly around the floor on his knees, working out the goo between the toes of his friends with a towel. It's amazing how much sort of built-in energy there is in me and probably in you too to want to rise up and puff up and stand up and stick up for myself and yet Jesus says get down. A move from a self-centered godless way of thinking to a God-centered selfless way of thinking. So how are you doing in that shift toward humility? Are you willing to grow and change in this area to put God more at the center so it can push some of you out? And you can think of others more 
than you have been because that is important. If we don't get down, then all of our service is going to be some self-serving thing we're doing for ourselves. But when we flow the river into us and out of us and then we get down, now we're ready for not just the attitude but the action, which is get going. Get going. Do something. Don't just sit there. (laughs) Get in the game. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You've been blessed. Be a blessing. Make your life count. Answer the question, where will you serve? The Bible makes it clear that every single one of us has been given opportunity and gifts by God that enable us to serve. Serving isn't for a special class of Christian, certain sort of holy types or talented types or preacher types or whatever. No. All of us, every disciple, 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way, each of you, I think that means each of us, should use whatever gift, I think it means whatever gift you have received from God to serve others. Don't use your gift just for your own benefit, your own business, your own self, your own profit, your own gain. God's given you a gift, use it to serve others because that's how you are a faithful steward, a manager, an administrator of the grace river that has flowed into your life. I have a set of keys and on the keys, on the, on the ring, there are several keys. If I, if I dangled them in front of you from a distance, you'd probably think that most of them kind of look the same and they do. Keys are similar in appearance. But you and I probably know how keys work. They're not all the same. And if you look more closely, you realize that each one is uniquely crafted for a very specific purpose. And there's a key on that door that won't work on this one, but a key on that ring that won't work in that door, but it'll walk into this door and click and it swings that door open and opens a whole new room because of the purpose that key was made for. And you're like that key. We're all like that key may look the same on the difference, but you are uniquely crafted for a specific place. There's a lock that is meant to open because you made the difference. And the little notches are the experiences in your life, the gifts in your life, the pain in your life that make you uniquely crafted to do some difference-making thing in the world that fits with the purposes of God's kingdom. What is it? You're a key. What lock are you made for? Where will you serve? The Good Samaritan was walking along the road. There was a guy right in front of him. I said, I guess this is it. What's the guy in front of you on the road? What's the basin and towel that you need to pick up? Who who are the people with feet in front of you that you might need to wash? There are so many ministries here in this church through Mountain, that are just ripe with potential. So many are flourishing and others are like almost there. And and, and as a leader, I can tell you what I see. I see like, ah, this would be amazing what the impact we could make in the community or the things that could happen. But you know what's missing is some people are sitting over here dangling their keys. Or they're they're not, we, we we need those doors to open. In other words, if God sent you to this church... Don't think for a second, well, they've got it all figured out and it's already working pretty well. No, if, if God sent you to this place, it's because you have something really important to contribute and I hope that you are. Do something. Serve. That's why we put this little piece of paper in the seat back in front of you today. I hope you grab it right now, if you will. It's just an invitation because maybe someone's here saying, 
I'm kind of sensing what you're saying. I want to do something. I, I, I want to get in the game. I, I don't have a lot of time or whatever, but I, I want to help. And here's some areas. Perhaps you're going to check one of those boxes because you like kids or technology or you can sing or you want to, 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 to do something behind the scenes or whatever it might be or you want to get your hands dirty second Saturday serve or you want to go help tutor kids. I, I don't know. But yeah, I promise if you check that box and write your name, we'll get back to you and have a conversation about where it might be that you could serve. Now, don't think for a second that all the ministry opportunities that you have are only the ministries inside the walls of the church because as we're always really careful to say, man, the main thing is that you're serving where you're meant to serve. And that might be outside the walls of the church. It might be your life on mission somewhere that has nothing to do with a church ministry. I mean, just even the church itself has this externally focused difference. I believe this is the best thing that Christianity can do in our generation is in the face of all the cultural fears and anger and stuff that you hear from a lot of Christians, sometimes I think we just need to serve and bless the world more like Jesus did. A lot of people in this church have been given money by God. That's a gift. They give the money to the church. And part of that money then we, we hand over to a team that very carefully screens benevolence requests of members of this church who come and say, I'm going through a rough time. I can't pay this bill. I have this need. And every year, it looks like probably this year, forty dollars or $50,000 will we'll have gone one check at a time, one electric bill at a time, one thing at a time, just to help kind of make a difference. That's serving the world. It's external focus. Community impact around here as people give to this church, the, the, the volunteer hours, and the dollars that go for Habitat for Humanity and the homeless shelter in our community, orphan care, extreme family outreach, Second Saturday Serve, Trunk or Treat, these things, together about $400,000 that we give every year just to sort of remind us how important it is to serve our local community. And that's not even to mention global mission all over the world. Dozens of missionaries and mission organizations that are impacting and serving the world that we're helping to empower and partner with another $400,000 that we give in that way, which is not to say anything of the nearly $800,000 every year that this church gives to sponsor children all over the world. Someone, I was, someone asked me about these numbers and I told them and they said, wow, are you sure? That's a lot of money. That's like a million, what, two, how many, are you sure you're supposed to give all that away? And I'm like, okay, let's go over this again. Who's our, who's our leader? Jesus. What did he give away? Everything. Yes, class. This is what it looks like to get down and get going. We serve. So what about you? <laughs> Frederick Beekner says, you want to find your calling? Find where your deep gladness and the world's great need meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's great need meet. That intersection will help you figure out what door you're meant to unlock and the difference you're meant to make. A few years back, this church just exploded with a heart that said, we want to, we want to make a difference in, in our community, especially in Edgewood. And we opened the epicenter. And I wanted you to see a little bit of what happened this last summer over at the epicenter. So go ahead and watch the screen. So hi, my name is Allison Jefferson. I'm a teacher at Edgewood High School. And also I'm on staff here at the epicenter. I am the operations manager here and I'm the camp director for Camp Epic. Um, teaching pays my bills. I love teaching, but I look forward to coming here and working at the epicenter every single day. Camp Epic is a six-week program that we have here at the epicenter. This summer we reached 145 that we had in the building every day. It's a 10-hour day from 7.30 to 5.30 every day. 
In the morning, the kids get to go through reading and math and science and technology. We were able to secure certified teachers to teach those areas. They have arts and crafts and sports. In the afternoon session, we have dance and drama, we have music, we have PE, and we have science and technology. In the middle of all that, we have lunch. And also, we have character building that we go through every week. Each child gets to go through character building every day. This year, our theme was the body. The human body and the body of Christ. So for this summer with the body of Christ, we focused on how each person and each part is just as important as the next part. Uh, we went swimming, we went bowling, we were able to go ice skating this year. Uh, and one of our big trips this year, our end of the year, we call it, was to Sight and Sound in Pennsylvania. And the kids loved it. This year, the story was the story of Joseph and the coat of many colors. And we got there, we took 142 kids to Pennsylvania to the Sight and Sound Theater. Uh, when we got there, the kids were awesome. Once the show started, you didn't hear a peep out of all of them. You would have never known we had that many kids in that theater. They had the live animals coming up and down the aisles, and the kids sat in amazement. And not only were they just amazed at what they saw, but you could tell that they really took a lot away from that particular story that they brought back with them. So at the epicenter, we have dozens and hundreds of Legos. And we decided to have the children use those Legos to create what they remember from the story of Joseph. We had some kids that were able to uh, depict the story of where Joseph was crowned king. They had the prison scene in there where the prisoners were chained up and Joseph was chained to a rock. But while Joseph was chained to this rock, he was teaching. So the kids really got a lot from that story and they were able to show that right there through just a simple Lego competition. That was an awesome trip. I had an experience this summer where I came in the church one Sunday and I walked in the door and there was a whole family. Three kids, a mom and a dad, and I'd never seen them here before. But they were new to Camp Epic this summer and um, because of that relationship that they built through the camp, you know, they were like, well, let me try, let me see. And they came into, uh, you know, they came to worship here one Sunday, and I've seen them since then. So that is awesome to see that relationship being built in one place, but then it filters through all that we're trying to do here at the epicenter and through mountains for the community of Edgewood. And if you have any time in your day, an hour a week, or two hours a week, once a week, whatever, that you can come and you say, I feel like I can make a difference, you could at the zone. Uh, we're looking for volunteers all the time to come in and help and it runs from three o'clock to six o'clock. Uh, there are a lot of kids that struggle in the area of reading, there are a lot of kids that struggle in the area of math, and they just need that little one-on-one, -on -one, that little extra attention to help them get over some of those hurdles that they're having. And that's awesome in the life of a child because one thing, you never know what goes on in a child's life once they leave the upper center. We're trying to build relationships with, with children and with families so that they know that regardless of what's going on, this is a solid ground that they can always come back to. Yes, that's a cool story. Way to go, Mountain. I think that's awesome. That's what we dreamed of when we, you know, kind of birthed and worked together and sacrificed to create that epicenter. And uh, it's happening. We're changing the trajectory of a child one life at a time. And that's just one example 
of a place that you might want to serve in the zone after school, tutor a kid or hang out with some, but there's so many ways. So here's the deal. Where are we at? Well, as we go look at the, the mountain walk, this core curriculum of Jesus, love God, love people, serve the world. Key questions being when and who and where. You know, I think you've probably heard by now, next week we begin this amazing new journey called Awakening. And I, it's an awesome opportunity because it speaks to every one of these. It's a great hands-on way. I mean, the weekend worship gatherings are going to be things you're going to want to be here. Invite others to be here. Next week we kick it off. And uh, there'll be a book. I encourage you to get the book. And that can be part of your Abide Alone time. And uh, it's a great time to get grouped with others, uh, to, to hold on. And this is a moment to be inviting someone. I promise these longings that we're going to be addressing are universal. And everybody, even if they don't think of themselves as a Christian or spiritual person, is going to connect with what we're talking about, I promise. And so that leaves us with serve the world. And so my question for you is, what about you? Where? What are you going to do? Where, what are you doing now? Is it time to reevaluate? Is it time to go deeper with your service or with a fresher motivation? What lights your fire? What are you good at? What's part of your story that maybe tells you what kind of key you are? Skyler was bullied as a child, and it really resonates with him when he sees kids today who are struggling with that, so his ministry is to help kids and families never know they're never alone in that. Bam, right there. His, his gladness and the world's need have met, and he's got a ministry. Ellen's husband committed suicide. It was the darkest part of her life. She was filled with anger and emptiness and depression, and today she finds gladness in helping to sort of empathize with other women who are going through the same dark valley. Mark is an awesome singer. He loves it. He's good at it. God gave him a voice, and now he shares that with others as he sings and helps others learn how to sing praises to God in worship times. Joe is a carpenter. He can make things, and he leads others on a construction team to help fix things and, and build buildings at a, at a kid's Christian camp. Andrea is amazing with food preparation. Everything she bakes tastes awesome. I love having Andrea on my team. What's your thing? What's your thing? What are you good at? What great pain motivates you? What injustice keeps you up at night saying that ought to change? What experience is important to you? Are you sick of bad racial relations? Do you think foster care is important? Are you more a behind-the-scenes person and you'd find joy in filling 5,000 communion cups every weekend? Just asking hypothetically. Do you ride Harleys? Do you get energized on a basketball court? Do you love to scrapbook? Do you like hanging out with middle schoolers? Do you have other mental illnesses? Do, you, do, you, do little kids make you giggle because they're so doggone cute? Do you, can you write a card? Can you pray a prayer? What's your deal? Find something. Here's the question. Where are you going to serve? A couple years ago, we hosted a bike camp. It was amazing. Right here on the Mountain Road campus, it was for developmentally disadvantaged kids. And they came to camp for a week every day, put them in little groups, and then these volunteer coaches with big hearts just gathered around these special needs kids, and they worked with them, you know, hour on end, as they made new friends and got some new love, and it was a great gift to the parents, so they could just see someone else working with the kids. But the goal was to get them all to learn how to ride a bike, if possible. Sit on a bike, focus, balance, muscle strength, all that stuff. And we put up cameras in here because so the, the, the parents couldn't be in here. It would be too distracting. But the parents could watch on the big screen outside in the comments as they were watching these people love on their kids and seeing the progress their kids were making. As, as the week went along, it became pretty obvious that one special little girl was not figuring it out and she probably wasn't going to be able to ride a bike. It was the last day of camp 
almost at the last minute. Everyone else in her group had already graduated. They were out in the parking lot riding around on two-wheelers having a time of their life. Woohoo! She's in here still with her coaches with her, still going around in a big circle like they've been doing all week trying to figure this thing out. She's a little scared, a little stubborn, just having a hard time pulling it together and making it happen. And then all of a sudden it happened. Her coaches knew it was time. And they gave her a little gentle shove and they let go. And that little girl rode that bike under her own power. It wasn't that far. It was about 50 feet. But she's smiling and so excited. And out in the commons, watching on the screen, her mother just melted. She just collapsed. And she says, my baby's riding a bike. My baby's riding a bike. My baby's riding a bike. It was a really cool moment. It was an amazing moment. And I thought to myself, you know, that right there is a picture of the church. These coaches using their gifts and serving and loving and something that you know when you see it, that's close to the heart of God. But you know why else I love that picture? Because it's not just an encouraging picture of the church. Because that right there, my friends, I think is what it is like for God. I think it's, what it, it's how God feels when we finally get past our training wheels and our excuses and our fears and our stubbornness and begin to ride. Every one of us is made to ride. And that riding is, is serving with full-on abandon with our lives. And God is watching us on the big screen, waiting and hoping that we'll ride like that, like he made us to, in service and in self-giving abandon like Jesus did, our teacher. And when God's watching the screen of your life and he sees any of us show up for second Saturday serve with gloves on and kids to go rake and help. Or to do yard work for a neighbor this fall that you know could use the help. To drop off a bucket of chicken to someone at work who you know is going through a, a rough time. When, when it's as simple, as simple as cleaning up the, the dinner table without being told. Just out of love and goodness. When you set up chairs at one of our worship venues. When, when, when he sees us direct traffic and welcomes someone in who maybe hasn't been to church in a long, long time. When you volunteer for, for SARC for abused women. Or, or you go hang out at the, the, the zone after school. Or you minister to children through extreme family outreach. When you care about abortion alternative services and you want to provide a sort of different way of looking at the world. When you help an older friend fix a faucet. When you send a card. When you show up at Celebrate Recovery to help some addicts get clean and free. When you, when you want to participate in grief share, I don't care if you're a preacher who preaches, a singer who sings, or a prayer who prays, you've got a gift. When you use it, when you let the river come to you but then flow through you, I think God watches our lives on the big screen and says, my baby's riding a bike, and that's what I made him for. So how about it? Get down and get going. What do you say? The world is waiting and watching for a version of Christ's follower who look more like Jesus. Maybe that's meant to be us. Maybe it's meant to be you. You want to know what Jesus looks like? You want to be like Jesus? Get down and get going. Let me pray for you. God, we ask you to fill our hearts with that river of blessing and grace and forgiveness even more. We're just, in a way, we're just kind of greedy for more of you. And we, we know that if we receive it fully... We don't want to bottle it up or hoard it. We want to share it. Let it flow through us. So, Lord, help us now as we lay down our lives. The one life you've given us, we want it to count for you, not just for ourselves, 
but for you, Lord, and your purposes. And we know that we'll find our great joy in serving you with all we are. And all God's people said, Amen.